Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. First and foremost, before I get to our ads and our sponsors, I want to wish Dear Old Dad a happy 60th birthday. This episode is dropping on Wednesday, June 5th. And that is the 60th anniversary of the day that my dad joined us all on the planet. So, Dad, happy birthday. I'm sure that I'll call and talk to him at some point uh, today. But in case he listens to this before I get a chance to talk to him, happy birthday, Dad. I love you. And now, part one of the AFC West preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground, our third opponent preview episode, is brought to you by my bookie. Summer is the best time of year. We're talking vacation, the beach, lots of sun, and, of course, sports. So whether you like MLB, MMA, golf, or anything else, MyBookie is the place to bet. Their mobile site is easy to use and allows you to make bets from anywhere. No hassle, no waiting line, no need to get off the couch. Now is the perfect time to replenish your bank account after that vacation and to make sure you've got plenty of bankroll come football season, which is just around the corner. Thank God. Maybe you want to drop a futures bet on an N- on next year's NBA champ, or maybe you want to back your favorite player for Heisman Trophy. My bookie wants you to have as much fun as possible this summer, and what's more fun than winning money while watching sports? Just visit mybookie.ag today and, di- and get started. Then try your luck at outsmarting the odds makers, but wait. If you deposit with promo code BEARS100, my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's 50%. Promo code BEARS100. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Uh, Part one of the AFC West preview is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience. Instead of looking all over the web for sites to get the best deal, let SeatGeek do the heavy lifting for you. Their app scans the web for all of the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and uh, rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you are getting the best bang for your buck. Use promo code ACAA as an armchair All-American at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And here we go. We finished our same place opponents. We start with the AFC West. The ball is rolling. We're going downhill now. And our boy Q from Locked On Raiders is going to be joining us to help preview the 2019 Raiders. We talk about Khalil Mack. We talk about John Gruden. All the work that the Raiders have done, what they had to suffer through this this year, what they're looking forward to in 2019. It's a hell of a conversation. Q and I had a fantastic time. He's a really good dude. So without further ado, myself and your boy Q from ESPN 1660 in Central Texas and the Locked On Raiders podcast, previewing the 2019 Raiders. And as we begin our AFC West preview, we go from from worst to first or last to first, depending on your sensibilities. And uh, 
unfortunately, the fourth place finisher in the AFC uh, West last year were the Oakland Raiders here to help us preview the 2019 Oakland Raiders and what they may have in store with all their changes and their new personnel, free agents and what have you. Uh, it's your boy Q. What's going on from Locked On Raiders? Thanks so much for coming on to the show, man. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime anyone wants me to be a part of their show, be part of anything that they got going on, talking about some Raider football, talking about football in general, talking sports, I'm always down. I'm always game. So I definitely appreciate the invite, and I can't wait to talk. And uh, you're a Bears guy. You're a Bears podcast. So uh, there's obviously a lot that uh, the Raiders and the Bears have in common. Well, at least 52 they got in common. <laughs> Indeed. And and we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead – and before we get to that, uh, we'll, we'll ask the question that I, that I ask all of my new guests, uh, you know, a new friend of the show, uh, just to kind of get a feel for, for where you're at right now. Um, where are you from originally? Where do you live now? And do you have a favorite memory as a Raider fan? Absolutely. Well, I'm, a, I'm originally a Bay Area guy, born in Oakland, California, uh, lived in Pittsburgh for a long time, lived in uh, Fresno, California for a long time. And now I live in Central Texas. I work at ESPN Central Texas. That's my that's my nine to five, to, to say the least. You know, nice. I do a radio show every day from uh, 12 to three on ESPN Central Texas. And it's been really, really cool. And so it's funny for me being a Bay guy and a California dude to all of a sudden up, end up in Central Texas. But, you know, that's just how it works sometimes in the in the world of radio and things always happen for a reason. And so that's how I really got onto ESPN is, is by being in Central Texas. So uh, like I said, things happen for a reason. So that, that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, man, as a, as a lifelong Raider fan, I would have to say I have so many memories uh, of being at the Coliseum and so many great memories of things that have happened there uh, from all the years that, that the Raiders were there and, and still are there. But mm-hmm. I think that I, I, if I had to just pick one off the top, I would probably say it was a game and I don't remember the year it was, but it was a game that the Raiders were playing the Eagles and Mike Vick, he had just got out of jail and he was a member of the Eagles. And uh, I remember Tony Dungy had talked a lot of trash about don't go to the Raiders, go to any team in the league, but make sure you don't go to the Raiders. And so he ended up signing up with the Eagles. And me and my son, Little Q, and my, and my other son, Little Q, Little Q and Little Q, uh, we, we both, we all three of us went to the game. And, uh, you know, they were small at the time. And so it was fun just all three of us being at the game. And we were sitting in, in one of the end zones, not the black hole, but it was, uh, it was the other end zone and it was a little bit higher up. But we still had really good seats. And I remember the Raiders as bad as they were that year and that's when Jamarcus Russell was the the quarterback uh they, they were really really bad and really the only wide receiver that was worth assault was uh, Zach Miller and he was a tight end but that particular game Zach Miller had a big game and the Raiders found a way to win and uh, I just remember the crowd just celebrating and riding and, and yelling and chanting and the whole way out we're walking from the game we're walking across the bridge to to Bart and everyone's just yelling and all you hear is Raiders you know and you hear that over over and over and over and I was doing it so much that I totally lost my voice but it was all good and then at one point they started chanting Eagles suck because there were some Eagle fans that were walking by so both my sons looked at me and said dad can we and I was like and I was like can you what and they're like chant Eagles suck and I was like you better chant Eagles suck go ahead and go with it so oh man they were so excited because you know I mean when you're a young kid you think that suck is a bad word and they always tell you don't say it because it sounds kind of ugly but man you're at the Oakland Coliseum you're at a Raider game you just beat the Eagles you probably weren't supposed to win that game but you did so they started chanting that and then they started dancing and doing a little celebrations and other fans started getting them hyped up so just to see them live in that moment and me be in that moment and we were just all there together even knowing the team wasn't very good it was small moments 
moments like that that probably stand out the most to me. And obviously it's going to uh, change the game a little bit when they go to Vegas. But I already have plans to be at that very last home game against the Jacksonville Jaguars on December 15th. So we're going to close down the Coliseum in style. That's for sure. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, with you being in Texas and, and I know you, you hate to see their team, your team leave their home, but their new home is going to be closer to you than the one that they currently have now. So, I mean, is any excitement about them actually being closer? It won't be as hard to get to them. No, I'm not really excited about them being closer. I'm excited about them getting a new home. I am sure. excited about that because they deserve a new home. The team can't play on a dirt field. You know what I mean? They can't play. They just can't. The, the, the stadium needs to be upgraded. I wish they just it had just basically closed that one down and rebuilt. That would have been ideal for me, but it wasn't in the cards. It didn't shake out that way. Mark Davis found a way to get a deal done in Vegas. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Vegas and the stadium is going to be state of the art. It's going to make the the appreciation of the team worth that much more. And I mean, again, you got to keep up with the Joneses. And I don't mean Jerry Jones, but I mean just in the in the in the state of mind. If you're looking around the league, you got to have good facilities. You got to have a nice stadium. You want to host a Super Bowl someday. I mean, the Super Bowl was never going to be hosted in Oakland with that stadium. I mean, it just wasn't. You know, so they had to get better and, and, and get better for themselves. And so I'm excited about the opportunity for them to have that stadium. I think it's going to be you know awesome. Uh, I can't wait to go visit and check it out obviously it's a little bitter be, being an Oakland guy I hate the fact that the city is losing the team for the second time and I know the Bay Area is really going to hate that uh, especially with everything that's going on in Oakland you got the Warriors leaving their, this is their last season at, at Oracle the A's who knows where they're going to play but it just seems like everybody's bailing out of Oakland and it just kind of stinks and, it, and it's, it's a stinger but I get it you know some fans are really angry and might not ever get over it I get it I understand how it goes and so uh, as much as it's going to be nice to see them in that new stadium it's still a little bit sweet because I would love I wish things would have been able to work out in Oakland but it just didn't right so from one bittersweet topic to another um, we had a nice little piece of business at the beginning of the season uh, <laughs> last year where the Raiders parted with uh, Khalil Mack sent him over this way you guys got a, a boatload of uh, of draft picks and um, you know as a Bear fan I, I, I humbly say thank you and I appreciate uh, that <laughs> 100 percent um after the way he played last year and especially the way he debuted against green bay i thought two first round picks wasn't enough for what we got in return uh you know especially for last year and how he elevated our defense how did it feel on the other side i mean were you conflicted were you saying to hell with him if he doesn't want to be here let him go or you know where were you on that in that uh, you know that whole deal 
Well, you know, I tell everybody all the time, man, that September 1st, 2018, I'll never forget. I mean, you know, I just I just won't. I'll never forget that date. I'll never forget where I was when I got the notification that Khalil Mack had been traded to the Bears. I had actually done sideline reporting for a high school football game in Texas uh, that Friday night. And there was different reports from Shefty coming out saying, hey, that looks like there's some movement. Looks like Khalil Mack might be traded. And the whole time I kept saying, no way, no way, no way. Not going to happen. I refuse to believe that. And then I wake up the next morning and boom, it's done deal. Traded to the Bears and it's supposed to be the best trade ever as far as getting a whole bunch of draft picks back and I'll tell you right straight up I mean the two first round draft picks uh, are, that's great but at the same time giving back a second round draft yeah. pick was that was not great. So that was the part of the the draft or the uh, trade that really, really irked me. But uh, that September 1st, I was so angry. I came in to the radio station. I did a podcast that day. And usually I, I write down a couple notes and everything just to, you know, keep my mind right and everything. But this was just straight off the cuff, almost like I was going into the, the lab and trying to lay down like 16 bars or lay down a freestyle or so. You know what I mean? Like I'm just I'm just I'm just going off the cuff. And that was probably one of my most epic shows because I just I was so angry by the move. And look, I, I get it. It's been justified. I mean, they if you could say it's justified, it's been you know proven why they did it. I mean, it makes financial sense why they did it. Obviously, the team had a ton of holes outside of Khalil Mack. He was a, a stud on defense, but he disguised a lot of the issues that they had. So mm -hmm. I get it. They need a lot of talent. But that's something that's always going to kind of just – it's going to get at me the wrong way. You know, eventually John Gruden traded away Amari Cooper. I could live with that. I'm totally over that. I'm fine with that. But trading away Khalil Mack and then seeing all the things that he was able to do. You mentioned that Green Bay game. That was one thing. But what really got me throughout the course of the season was all the all the the to talk about Khalil Mack, all the everything. Khalil Mack this, Khalil Mack that. Khalil. I mean, I counted some broadcasts and some games like Monday Night Football where these guys would say Khalil Mack's name like seventy five times, and I'm thinking this dude won a Defensive Player of the Year with the Raiders, and no one ever talked about him that much. I mean, they they talked about him, but it wasn't on the level that they're talking about him now. So that kind of irked me as well. That's always going to be a sore spot. I have nothing against. Uh, him. I'm not mad at him. He wanted to get his money. Look, these guys are one play away. I tell people all the time, you're one play away. NFL stands for not for long, so you got to get it while you can. He got a whole lot of money from Chicago. The Raiders just weren't going to pay that much money, so at some point, you just got to get over it. But yeah, it hurts to see a guy that, you know, it has Hall of Fame uh, ability go in his prime, you know, and, and leave yeah. the team that, that, you, that you root for. So that one hurt, but Again, now they got their draft picks. The, the the team has moved on, obviously, from Khalil. They uh, they're hoping that they can usher in these new guys and they could be just on point. And and if they are, and they go out there and play really well, and John Gruden puts together this team that's awesome and goes and wins the championship anytime soon, you know, a lot will be forgotten. But uh, I think for most, I think I can speak comfortably for most uh, Raider fans when they say that Khalil Mack trading still hurts in a major way. Yeah, I, I imagine it would. I mean, it's just um, I mean, we the Bears seem to be the the, the people on the receiving end uh, of those trades, as opposed to selling somebody off. Um, you know, so we well, I mean, obviously night and day as far as players. But we did the same thing about ten years ago when we tried it when we tra traded for Jay Cutler, two first round picks, and we got him and like a fifth rounder in return or something uh, like that. And it's um, you know. It, what what's what's confused me or, or maybe I don't want to say irked me, but I guess I've read an article not too long ago. I think it may have been even before the season ended or at least early in the offseason where some analytics expert had already declared the Raiders the winners of the trade. And I know that it was before the draft because we didn't even have a draft comparison as to who they got with the first of the two first round 
picks. And I'm like, okay, I can see five years down the line if Khalil's you know, big salary may cause some salary cap issues and we have trouble keeping people and we got to figure out how we're going to replace the guys we can't afford to keep. And the Raiders are going off and they got all the guys that they got with the picks they got from the Bears on rookie contracts, so they're relatively cheap and they're succeeding. I can see the Raiders being the winner eventually. But after year one, that statement about the Raiders winning that trade or being the winners of the trade now made no sense to me. Yeah, it was very difficult. I, I saw that article. I know exactly which one you're talking about. And it was just it was interesting to to see it already, because, again, even with these draft picks, I mean, now that we know who they are, we're not really going to know who they are for a couple seasons, you right. know, and again, Khalil Mack is performing right now. He's performing at a high level. He's obviously a guy that the Raiders could use because they only had 13 sacks in 2018. So he's a guy that that uh, obviously would have made a lot of sense to stay in the silver and black if they were able to make that happen. But it's it's tough to say that, oh, the team won the trade after one year, like you said. I mean, again, we just got to see how all these guys uh, pan out. Obviously, the first player is Josh Jacobs. I mean, the number 24 overall pick is what the Bears ended up basically giving up to the Raiders. And so that's Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama. And I'm very high on him. A lot of people are upset because, oh, you don't trade a or you don't uh, you don't draft a running back in the first round. I have no problem with it because I think he's going to be an absolute stud. So I'm I'm actually fired up and excited about the potential of Josh Jacobs. I think he's going to be great in this John Gruden offense. And, and we'll just see. And, you know, if they could parlay next year's first round draft pick, whichever one the Bears end up giving up. I mean, then maybe they get another player right there. And again, like I said earlier, then you could say, OK, the Khalil Mack trade was worth it because we're not paying all that money. Plus, at the same time, got some really good players. But until you you really know how it all shakes out it's tough to say who won right now yeah I mean like, like I said I can I can see the fact that the Bears in the long run could be the losers of this trade they gave up that draft capital that could hurt us down the road we had to give Khalil Mack a king's ransom as far as uh, money to be able to to get him in a Chicago Bear uh, uniform so I can see a scenario down the line where the Bears are the losers but after year one Number one, we're not paying him the big money yet. We signed him to an extension, but he was still on the fifth-year option is what he right. played on last year. And we don't, we have no returns whatsoever. There was no immediate return for the Raiders. It was all draft picks. It wasn't like the Jay Cutler trade where we gave up draft picks and Kyle Orton. So Kyle Orton became their starting quarterback in Denver that year and performed very well for for Josh McDaniels when they when they did the trade. So there was some immediate return for the the Broncos and you could see right off the bat the Bears didn't do all that well. Jay Cutler was buried under a bad offensive line. Kyle Orton led the league in passing yards or whatever the hell happened that year and even though the season didn't turn out great, the rate the the Broncos were the immediate winner of that trade. Well, the other thing that, uh, you know, a, a lot of goes into that article as well is the fact that with all that available money, they were able to go out and swing it for Antonio Brown. They were able right. to get that. You know, they, that that's a big pickup for them. They had the money for Tyrell Williams. They had the money for Trent Brown. I mean, they had a lot more available cap space, even though at some point they probably could have wiggled Khalil Mack's contract into it as well, but they had a lot more flexibility. So I think that that had a lot to do with it as well. And look, those are upgrades. Those are upgrades to the roster. And again, the Raiders had a lot of holes on the roster, as you could tell by the 4-12 and season that they had in 2018. Defense needs a lot of work. Offense needs a lot of work. So a lot of that money that would have gone straight to Mack ended up going to, like I said, A.B. You were able to give him, uh, get him under contract with a nice little uh, basically three-year guaranteed deal. Uh, you are able to get him for a third and a fifth pick. That's not bad at all. He's 
still have, you know, your first round draft picks. So there was a lot of things that went into it. But as far as just the draft picks, just looking at the draft, we'll have to see after, you know, a couple seasons how these players pan out to see who won the trade. But, you know, you also have to put in that that other offseason, the free agency, all that uh, all, all the money that they're able to spend. That also plays a factor into it. Right. So moving on to uh, free agency, you alluded to Antonio Brown. That was a trade. And then you signed him to was an ex, was he is an extension, right? So do you have him for it's three years. years? It's it's basically a three year deal, and I think okay. it's like uh, what thirty something million guaranteed. I mean, it's all it's basically an all guaranteed contract. So he got a a, a lot of money uh, from the Raiders, but again, it was it was it was like an extension slash contract. It was it was kind of strange. It's almost like they they tore up his contract yeah. and redid. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Like, did they just tear up his old deal and sign him mm. to a new one, or did they right. extend? the one that he had when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, then you, you, you signed Trent Brown. Uh, that's a big upgrade. Is he going to be your left tackle? No, he's the right tackle. Right, right? Tackle. As of right now, he's the right tackle. Colton Miller is still the, the left oh, tackle. He was right. the rookie in 2018, and I think that John Gruden and company wants to keep him on that side so they don't confuse him because he has a lot of room to grow. And, and Trent Brown played really well on the right side in San Francisco before he actually ended up in New England. In New England, he played at the left side. But uh, if Colton Miller doesn't work out, I could definitely see them just kind of saying, all right, hey, we're going to move you over to the left side and it not being a problem because he's done both before. Sure, and he's replacing Donald Penn. Yeah. Um, who was your right tackle? You signed Tyrell Williams in division away from the Chargers. So that's yep. a, that's addition by subtraction right there. You know, I mean, they they uh, or I, actually that 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 doesn't make any sense what I just said. But uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. You know what I mean. But, you're, uh, you know, you're sub- subtracting from a division rival, adding to yours. Yeah. That's yeah. not how that saying works. But that's what I meant. You got me. We're on the same page. Yeah, it's all uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> LaMarcus Joyner, you get him from the Rams, uh, so there's an upgrade at safety. Uh, Vontez, talk to me about this one, because two guys that you guys signed, Vontez Perfect, Richie Incognito, not exactly model citizens, notoriously, in fact, signed by the Raiders. So is is Mayock going like old school and we'll take your your tile, your huddle masses yearning to be free kind of thing, or what's, what's the situation with that? Well, you know, Richie Incognito is funny because that's a subject on the podcast. That's a subject amongst Raider Nation right now. I mean, that's something that people feel a certain way about it. Uh, I had somebody hit me up the other day, uh, text me over the weekend and said that they might have to jump ship now that Richie Incognito is a is a Raider just because they don't like him that much. But uh, let me go to Vontez Burvitt first. That's a guy that I really, really did not want them to sign. I was very much uh, against it. I, I said, no, no, no. I know linebacker is a position of need for the Raiders. They haven't had a real good linebacker. And when he's on, he can be a hell of a player. But look, he's never available. I mean, he has so much history of being injured. So that's why I was really against that. And yeah, he's a bad dude with bad intentions, one of the dirtiest players in the league. But I could get over that. I was okay with that. I just didn't like the fact that the dude is always injured. He's either injured or suspended. I mean, it's one one or two things. I mean, he misses so many games. So that was my issue because I live by the creed that your best ability is availability. And he's just not available that much. So that was my issue with that. But now he's a member of the Raiders. Paul Gunther was pounding the table for him he really really wanted him because he knows him he knows what system he he, he wants him to run uh and you know he said Gunther came out and said that you know last year the linebackers weren't even doing half the defense because they they just didn't know even how to line up I mean there was so many things they couldn't even communicate so they were behind the eight ball so this is something that Vontez Burford is going to have to come in and hopefully he's able to stay healthy and he's out there and he could play the majority of the time so that's that's something that's worth monitoring just to see again because he has that injury history now with Richie and Cogn- 
Magneto, it's a whole nother subject. I mean, this dude is a bad dude. I mean, it's just no doubt about it. There's no way you can dress it up. You, you can't put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. This dude is a bad, bad dude with bad intentions. He has a lot of mental health issues, and that's something that, you know, me as a person, as, as a grown man, kind of look at and say, hey, uh, I just want him to be healthy. I want him to make sure he's okay upstairs because that mental health is scary, man. You just don't know what these guys are capable of doing when, you know, when, when their mind ain't right. And so he's had issues even as of late. He's had some issues, you know, with his grandmother. Uh, right. He got arrested at her house and punched a hole in her wall, pulled out a security system at his dad's funeral. I mean, he was going crazy at the funeral home with guns in the car. I mean, there's all kind of bad d- deals with this guy. But and so I was kind of leery on, on the sign and thinking, what, what are you, you know, what are you doing? But then when I heard Mike Mayock's uh, presser afterwards and he said that this guy's got a lot of work to do, he's not guaranteed a roster spot. He's getting veteran minimum deal. It's only one year, obviously, but he's got a lot of work to do as far as he's got to be right upstairs. And so they have infrastructure that they have in place for him. And if he kind of veers off a little bit, goes a little bit right or goes a little bit south, he's going to be gone. I mean, they, he said they have to do what they want him to do on the field and off the field and the off the field is even more important so yeah they're taking a chance on him because there's a big hole at the left guard position so he's probably the guy that'll slide in there if he's right but I don't think this is a a case of the old school Raider mentality where hey man you're a bad seed it's all right don't worry about it come over to the silver and black and uh we're gonna dominate that way because look you know the NFL is not that style anymore you know what I mean like guys you can't do that anymore you can barely hit a guy you can I mean if you hit a guy and everyone says oh that's usually a flag (laughs) you know what I mean so you can't live that kind of mentality you can't go out there and play like that so I think this is just more of a trying to fill a hole with a one-year guy similar to Vontez Burfitt these are not foundational players which Mike Mayock said during the draft is what he wanted all the guys he drafted uh, you you see they all have high high character they're high football IQ they love to go play ball I mean that's that's what they do you know they're the first ones in the in the building they're the last ones out that's the foundation those are the guys the draft picks the young dudes those are the guys that he's trying to build this team uh, you know, try to build them around guys like Richie Incognito and Vontez Burfitt. They're just filling a hole. They're filling a, a, a one year hole, maybe two if they can last. But they're not going to be around for the long haul. So they're not really the high character guys that he's looking for. He's looking for the young high character dudes. Those are the ones that are going to be around for the long haul. Yeah, that's very similar to the to the tack that Ryan Pace took when he took over the, the general manager spot uh, back in 2015 is um, he took a chance on Ray McDonald. Uh, who had domestic violence issues and all that kind of stuff. He was on the team less than a week. He had another domestic violence thing. Ray McDonald right. has not been heard from since. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, Vic Fangio vouched for him because they were together in San Francisco. Give this guy a shot. I know he can play. He can get the job done. Ten days later, Ray McDonald's been arrested again, and he's not a Chicago Bear. He hasn't played a down of football for anybody uh, since then. He burned that bridge, and he's done. So if if that's where Mayock is at, then – I can totally see it because in 2015, Ray McDonald was a good football player. He was definitely an upgrade to what the Bears had. And same thing for Richie Incognito. If his mind is right, if he's focused, he is one of the better interior linemen that has played this game. So as a player, it's a good move, but everything else, is it worth it? That's the real question. 
Yeah, I mean, is, is it worth it? It's going to remain to be seen. You know, right. if he turns into a Ray McDonald type situation and something else pops up and he and he, you know, gets kicked off the team and gets booted out the league or whatever, then no, it wasn't worth it because you just brought unnecessary attention to your team. But at the same time, if he can get out there and he could play and you know he can help the team and he can help he help help keep Derek Carr upright, then yeah, then that's a that that's a win right there. But again, it's really going to be up to him to put in all the work off the field. Make sure he goes and meets with the people he needs to meet with. Make sure that he's, you know, just 100% upstairs and again, even not even worried about what he does on the field. I just hope that he does that just for him anyway. You know what I right. mean? Because he's got so many issues. And th- this guy, in my opinion, is lucky that he's still alive. He's 35 years old. He very easily could not be, either by taking his own life or someone else taking his life because of all the bad stuff he's done. So it's, it's a scary thing, man. Uh, mental health is no joke. And and uh, hopefully he's getting the proper help that he needs. I do think that having him in some kind of a structure helps because I think when he's out there in the wild to say, and it has nothing to do, has no team to play for, no no practice to go to, no anything like that, I think he has too much time to himself, and that's a scary thing. And actually, it's scary right now because look, they have OTAs going on. A mandatory mini camp will be next week, and, and then they are off. Then they're off, and they have that big gap until training camp. That's the part that scares me: is that gap between mandatory mini camp. And training camp. What kind of trouble can a dude like Richie Incognito get in with all that off time? Right. Yeah. That's that's a scary thought because a lot can happen. Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, a lot can happen in a couple of days. We're talking about giving this guy a month between the <laughs> end of mini camp and the start of uh, training camp, if not more. Yeah. Uh, time. It is a scary proposition. I mean, they're going to want to keep an eye on him um, a- as much as possible if that's what their plan is. So. Yeah, that meant like you said, the mental health thing is is no joke, and you worry about a lot of guys. And with the way that he has been off the field and his issues, and the way he likes to fly off the handle, obviously some people are thinking like maybe he's already suffering from like CTE. Is football yeah. the answer? You know, right. like is is this something that's good for him, or is it just going to make matters worse? Is it going to trigger something else or, or something like that? So a lot of things to cover. Hopefully it works out. Like you said, for him. I hope he gets better and gets the help he needs and, you know, he doesn't become another statistic or a, or a footnote in, an, in another tragic case of, you know, football not working out for somebody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's going to be remain to be seen. I'll be the big mystery. It'll be one of the storylines that are going to training camp. You know, if, if that's what it is, it's going to be, you know, what is the state of Richie Incognito? How long is he able to keep it together? You know, is he able to keep it together? That's going to be something that's going to be very interesting. And look, this Raiders team has a lot of good storylines. Well, a lot of interesting storylines, I'll say, going into the 2019 uh, training training camp, you know, just between Antonio Brown, Vontaze Burfitt, you know, Richie Incognito, you know, getting this team turned around after the Khalil Mack trade. I mean, you know, tur- turning those guys into those prospects into real deal football players. Can Derek Carr be the dude? You know, is he? That's still a debate that we have almost daily on the podcast. We have this debate, you know, is Derek Carr the guy or is he just a guy? You know, so there's there's so many questions that are that are going to be interesting and they're going to be answered in training camp. They'll be answer- uh, answered in the preseason and obviously in the regular season. So it's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely worth monitoring monitoring that's for sure so where do you land on that with with Derek Carr because he's got a contract that says he is the guy right and you know five years 125 million or whatever it was it was one of the top contracts ever at the time if not the top contract when they gave him that extension but 
all of that talk about Kyler Murray before the draft. If he if the Cardinals don't take him and he's there at four, does you know John Gruden loves him? Will he pull the trigger on that? And then what do you do with twenty five million dollars worth of Derek Carr and and all that kind of stuff? So. Is he the guy, or is he the guy that the Raiders are dealing with until somebody comes along, like maybe they'll you know parlay those two first round picks next year into trading up to get Tua or something like that? Well, you know, I think that Derek Carr is the guy. I I, I really do. I mean, in my heart, I think he's the guy. And like I said, this is a debate that we have on the podcast almost daily. And I will say that. I feel like he's the guy. He has the tools to be the guy, but he's got to prove that he's the guy, if that makes sense. You know, he's got to go out there and he's got to excel in 2019. He's got to go out there and take second year under John Gruden in the same offense. It's only the second time he's been in the same offense in his whole career. So what he did when last time he did that, it was 2016. And he did really well until right. he broke his ankle. So uh, we'll, we'll see if he can pick up John Gruden's system. He could pick up that offense now after having a year under his belt. He's got a lot of weapons around him. He's got protection in front of him. I will say I'm a little uh, I, I'm not a little. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm very uh, cautious of Tom Cable's offensive line just because I'm not a Tom Cable guy. I, I just don't like Tom Cable at all. I think that no matter who's in front of him in the offensive line Tom Cable's always going to hold them back just a little bit. But that's, that's just my personal feeling on Tom Cable. Some people are okay with him. I'm not that guy. So We'll see what happens with that offensive line. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. But, again, it's going to be a big question mark. But now Carr has all these weapons around him. Like I said earlier, I think Josh Jacobs is going to be a hell of a player for him. I think Gruden is going to use him in multiple ways, similar to what he did with Charlie Garner back in the day when he had Charlie Garner and Tyrone Wheatley. I think he's going to be able to use Josh Jacobs similar to him where he catches passes out of the backfield. He's running routes out of the backfield. I mean, he's doing all kind of almost Le'Veon Bell type stuff, but I don't want to say Lev Bell because that's a hell of a comparison. You know, I don't want to I don't want to put that on him just yet. I mean, he's still a rookie, but he does run routes. You know, he's able to carry the rock. He doesn't have a lot of wear on his and tear on his tires, which is very uh, unusual for a running back coming out of Alabama. You know, most of the time they run, 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 and they wear him out. By the time they get to the league, they don't have a whole lot left. Well, Josh Jacobs is still fresh, so I'm excited about the uh, the possibilities of him. I think Derek Carr will, will grow to like him a lot because he'll help him out a lot. Uh, Hunter Renfro, he's a guy that doesn't get talked about a lot, except for with me. I talk I talk about him a ton. Fifth-round pick out of Clemson. But the one thing he does is catch passes. That's all he does is catch passes. He doesn't put anything on the ground. He secures the ball before he, before he even thinks about running. He's not going to kill you with speed. He's not the super athletic dude, but he's got those hands. He will not put the ball on the ground. And that's something that has plagued Derek Carr's whole career, all his wide receivers. Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Seth Roberts. I mean, all these guys. Andre Andre Holmes, who's not a very good player, but whatever. Some, somehow Raider fans are huge Andre Holmes fans. I don't know why, but whatever. That's, it is what it is. He put the ball on the ground a lot. They've always put the ball on the ground a lot, no matter who it was. This guy is really going to help out. Obviously, Antonio Brown is a huge weapon. Tyrell Williams can spread the field, stretch the field really uh, really well. I think that the, the team has been upgraded in a major way. So if there is a year that you say, okay, there's no excuses. You got to go out there and ball. This would be the year. Yeah, and and this uh, the comparison that I make. You know, bringing it back to the to the Bears is that you know when you look back on his on Jay Cutler's time in a Chicago Bear uniform, there were a lot of problems with the team that was put around him. You know, his number one wide receiver for a while was Devin Hester, who was a converted cornerback slash kick returner trying to turn him into a wide receiver using it taking advantage of his speed he didn't get Brandon Marshall until year four uh with the Bears and even then we kept changing offenses and offensive 
coordinators, uh, you know, and it was a long time with the team before he had actually had offensive weapons around him and was able to put his best foot forward. Looking back on the Jay Cutler era, how will people remember? Will people remember that, or will they just remember that he didn't win us anything? Mitch Trubisky, on the other hand, starting his career, and he's got a Matt Nagy, he's got a Allen Robinson, and and you know the the team that was built around him. He doesn't have Jay Cutler's excuses. If he fails, it's on him, uh, kind of thing. And now Derek. Let me Carr, ask you. Let me ahead. ask you something real quick. How how sold are you on Mitchell Trubisky? I mean, because again, he did fairly well in 2018, but again, that team was definitely led by the defense. 100%. They absolutely were, and he had his struggles throughout the year, and anyone who listened to my podcast knows that I didn't let him forget that. That, okay. you know, he it, – it's and, I ha, and I'm not anti-Trubisky. I never have been. I was not happy when the Bears drafted him because it was a quarterback. I didn't want the Bears to draft a quarterback. We weren't ready for one, and I was right as far as 2017 was concerned. In hindsight, it turned out to be the right move. Because 2018, Trubisky finally had an offensive uh, system, offensive play playmakers on you know on the team with him, and he made definite strides. Strides that I was hoping he would be able to make as a rookie, but there, the it, the personnel just wasn't there. We had morons for play callers, so he seven touchdowns and seven interceptions his rookie year, and then week four of of 2018, he threw six touchdowns in one game against the Buccaneers. Ooh. That's you right. know, and I think that if if you want to go on a recency bias, you you look at how he performed in the second half of that wild card game against the Eagles. Both teams struggled in the first half to move the ball, and the second half is where things started to open up. And that last drive before Cody Parkey made himself super famous with a double doink, Mitch Trubisky had less than a minute to move his team down the field, and he did it. Right, you know, high pressure situation, making throws that not every quarterback can make, and getting Allen Robinson down the sideline, open and behind the corner in front of the safety, that kind of stuff. You know, he's made strides, and today in in OTAs and things like that, the coaches, Helfrich, our offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy, can't stop talking about where he is now as opposed to where he was a year ago when he was learning the system. So, the the arrow is pointing up. Um, Trubisky is my guy, one hundred percent. I don't see anybody better. I'm not one of those people like Jason Lock and Four, who's got to be the biggest joke in sports journalism, quite frankly, who thinks that who still thinks Chase Daniel is the best quarterback on the Chicago Bear roster. And I can't disagree with him more uh, about that. <laughs> so I really can't. Chase Daniel okay. is a great backup quarterback. He he you know he did good service for us when he got called into duty last year. But right. we would not have been twelve and four last year if Chase Daniel was the starter. Does the fan base still kind of question Trubisky, or do they all kind of believe, or is it is it kind of split? It is kind of split. I mean, I don't think anyone's not sold on Trubisky. I just think that no one's treating him like he's the savior of okay. the franchise, like it all crumbles. Because we watch the Bears win 12 games sometimes in spite of Trubisky. I right. mean, my favorite game of the year last year was our big win on Sunday Night Football against the Rams where we squashed that offense left and right. Trubisky threw three interceptions in that game, and we won anyway. Right, So, right. I mean, it, we can win when he's playing well. We win games like we did over Buffalo, 41-9, to or 48-10 to like we did over the, uh, the Buccaneers. Him being better just makes us that much better. But the defense was so money last year, we didn't. He could he could have his 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 hiccups and his mistakes and his rookie pains. Quite frankly, last year was more of a rookie season for him than anything. 
And, I mean, he, he came in as the starter instead of having to be forced into duty because Mike Glennon was crap uh, right. in 2017. So, you know, I think some people aren't, aren't treating him like the savior. Some people are. And, you know, it's, it, is, it is mixed on that. But I think everybody's pro-Trubisky. Nobody's looking for somebody else to come in and take the job. Okay. So, All right. Now that was just interesting because it's something like I said that we talked about on the on the podcast before. Basically, uh, fan bases and and the media who have debated a certain quarterback back and forth, like is he the guy? Isn't he the guy? And then he turned out to be the guy. And so it sounds like there's uh, maybe a little debate, but it's but everyone pretty much knows that Trubisky is the dude. Right. Because he had his moments last year, and he had both kinds of moments. He had those moments where like, oh geez, right. Come on, right. man. Are you serious? Like he had accuracy problems and that's and think and most people think it was tied into fundamentals he didn't get his feet right he got his arm in the wrong position the ball would sail on him that kind of thing and then he had those moments like I said that brilliant throw he made to Allen Robinson that set up the field goal attempt in the Eagles game at the end of the wild card matchup you know other amazing throws that he made last year to be like okay that's the guy I want leading my offense and you know uh, and everything like that Anytime you talk about one of his teammates, they fall over themselves talking about him and his leadership abilities and, and how committed he is to the team and the game and learning the offense and everything. So obviously talking is one thing and doing it's another, but everybody's saying all the right things. And, and I, when I say everybody, I mean everybody. There's, there's no detractors like there was when, when Jay was in town and right. the offensive coordinator is going behind closed doors and anonymously saying things he shouldn't be saying about his starting quarterback and whatnot. Everybody's on board with Mitch and I think all the fans are pro Trubisky in in one level or another like he's definitely our guy but is he the guy or he's is he just the guy now like should we pay him 25 to 30 million when his contract runs out in two years or should we be looking for somebody else because Mitch is just not getting it done yeah that's when the con that's when the conversation will really heat up is when it comes time to have to pay him pay the piper and this is the year for that question to get answered right it's, exactly it's, it's year two under Nagy, it's year two in the same system. It's mm-hmm. year two with everybody that he was just learning how to play with last year. That's why I said all year long last year, 2019 is the year because it'll be year two in the system, year two for all these guys are playing with each other again as opposed to feeling each other out for God knows how long throughout the year, last year, and, and all the rest of that stuff. He'll know the system as opposed to learning it all of last year. This is the window. Like 2019 is the year to make the move. So yeah, I've been I, saying I all along, I thought I think this is the year. If it doesn't happen this year, I'm not sure that it will, to be <laughs> honest with you. So this is the year that Mitch Trubisky makes his money. He'll either be the $30 million quarterback and the Bears have to figure out how we're going to be able to afford him and Khalil on the same team uh, and what have you, or we'll, be, uh, we'll figure out who, uh, who we're going to put in his spot and who's going to be our transition quarterback till we can find a new one. Right. So, no, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So you alluded to your your draft choices. You talked about Josh Jacobs. He was your second first-round pick, and as a matter of fact, the one that you took with the Bears' uh, first-round choice at 24. Uh, talk to me about your your first round or your first first-rounder, your, your Cleland, uh, Cleland Farrell, the, for the edge rusher from Clemson. There was a lot of heat about that particular choice. Everyone thought it would be Josh Allen, uh, another pass rusher, which obviously you guys need. A, after getting rid of Khalil Mack, and B, after the season that you had rushing the passer a year ago, there was a lot of, you know, like, I don't know why they went with him when the best pass rusher available is still on the board. 
Yeah, no, it was something that a lot of people were thrown off by, and I was actually there at the draft in Nashville when it happened, and I was anticipating my my two options there. Actually, I really wanted Quentin Williams. That was the the one that I wanted. I, I just, man, I beat the, the table till, till it was black and blue saying that, hey, Quentin Williams would be the guy if he was there. Well, the Jets took him the pick before, so I thought since the, the Quentin Williams was already gone that they were going to end up going with Ed Oliver out of Houston. Uh, obviously, he's another uh, inside pass rusher. He's a, he's a defensive tackle. You know, he plays that position, so it's not an edge rusher that they would have got. They would have gone after Ed Oliver. Instead, they do go with the edge, and they go with Farrell, and it's like, I immediately looked over at my my coworker and I said, at four? You know, I was just a little confused, like at four, because I had seen and I had heard in in plenty of different mock drafts that, oh, he's going to be, you know, top 15 or top 20 or something like that. He's going to be a first round draft pick, but it's going to be later in the first round. So I was a little confused at first because I thought that that was a little high for him. But then when I listened to their explanation and the fact that, hey, they wanted to trade back, that was their initial thoughts was trade back to like 11, 12, 13 and maybe get him there. They didn't feel like he was going to be there at number 24. And the way that the the edge rushers, the, the run on edge rushers and the run on defense players how it went in the first round he most likely wouldn't have been there so I get it that that was their guy that's the guy that they really wanted to, to get uh, they said that that he has big time leadership skills he's not only an edge rusher but he's also a get good against the run so he never has to come off the field that was something that they were excited about where other guys weren't quite sold they, they didn't really uh, believe that about those other guys Josh Allen he was a guy that I honestly didn't want he was a guy that I just said you know what I'm not exactly sure what his position is even in the NFL I mean I know he was an edge rusher at Kentucky and he was damn good at it but that was at Kentucky and not in the NFL and I just didn't know exactly what he was going to do and I've even heard Jacksonville say that they're going to use him as an outside linebacker and an edge rusher and kind of you know a few different uh, places and so they're going to put him at different spots and so to me that tells me that they don't really have a defined position for him yet so we'll see how that shakes out I just wasn't 100% sold on him so I was I in my own little personal mock drafts I had passed on him anyway and so uh, I, I wasn't upset that they didn't go get him. I just thought that they were going to go get Ed Oliver. But, uh, again, they got a bunch of guys from Clemson. They got an Alabama guy. Mike Mayock's first basically day on the job or his big event that he did when he first took the job as GM was the national championship game. So it's not really a surprise that he went and got a bunch of Clemson dudes that are, like they said, well-coached. Uh, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They know that they, they are going to get coached up hard. Uh, they expect to be leaders. They, they expect to go in there and perform right away when they get their number called. And so... So uh, I'm okay with it. Again, I, I thought four was a little bit high. It would have been great if they were able to trade back a little bit and get some more capital and then get them as well. Then I don't think anyone would have had any kind of question about it. But we'll have to see how it shakes out. Uh, obviously, we don't know if it was a good pick or not. But ultimately, I look at it like, hey, if you have three first-round draft picks, you come away with three first-round talents, then – you're good. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you're good because most teams only have one first-round pick. So they ended up with three guys. They're going to have an opportunity to have good careers in the league. I don't know if they're all going to pan out. Again, I mean, I gushed over Josh Jacobs already, so we already know how I feel about him. Farrell's going to have to prove himself. You know, everyone's going to say, oh, they picked him too high. They picked him too high. They picked him too high. Well, he's going to have to go out there and prove that he wasn't picked too high and that he is the guy and, and prove the Raiders right instead of, you know, prove all the all, all the detractors uh, wrong or whatever. So, or however that saying goes. There you go. <laughs> I mess him up too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had nine draft picks, and, and Clemson accounted for a third of them. You had Farrell exactly. at number four in the first round. You had Trayvon uh, Muller, your one and only second-round pick at number 40, a cornerback. And then you we talked about before, Hunter Renfro, wide receiver out of Clemson at 149 in the, in the fifth round. 
And uh, you, we talked about Jacobs already. Um, hopefully he can wash the stink of Alabama running backs in the NFL as of late. Anyway, yeah. don't exactly succeed at the at the at the top level, uh, but if anybody could, Derek I think he's doing pretty well. Who's that? Derrick Henry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They just didn't use him right away. I didn't. Yeah. I never understood why they just kind of held him on the shelf. But uh, he he kind of he came on pretty strong, especially in the second half of 2018. So we'll see if he could put it together for a whole season. But he looks pretty good. And and Ingram, I mean, at least Ingram's had a, a pretty good career, even though it started off pretty slow. Yeah, but they 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 were. They're not. Those were both Heisman Trophy winners. Ingram won the Heisman Trophy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he yeah, did. So those are both Heisman Trophy winners, and you know, I I think that that Henry had his moment as far as like I have arrived with that ninety nine yard run against Jacksonville, which <laughs> yeah. was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And I was watching that live when it happened, and I was like, somebody's gonna tackle him, right? Because he's pushing dudes out of the like, literally yeah. shoving people away from him and. It, like I just like I've never felt sorrier for the Jacksonville Jaguars in all my life. I've never seen <laughs> such a pathetic display. Like that team, like it just looked like the Jag. All the credit in the world to Henry. He made the run, ninety nine yards. That's not easy. But I I saw more quit out of Jacksonville on that play than anything else. To, no doubt. To be no honest doubt. with you. Yeah. So, but other other draft picks. Your third pick that you got out of the Amari Cooper trade, Jonathan Abram out of uh, Mississippi State. He's going to probably be one of your starting safeties there. You got another pass rusher and Max Crosby out of Eastern Michigan. Um, all defense except for basically uh, you got Jacobs, Renfro, and you got a tight end in the fourth round, Foster Moreau out of LSU. Everything else was defense, corners or pass rushers. Yeah, I think the strategy going into the draft was basically that they, they went and got a lot of offensive guys in free agency and they were going to try to build that defense through uh, through the draft, which I'm okay with. You, know, I'm, I'm okay with if you get the right guys. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Abram. I like him. Uh, I, I was listening to LaMarcus Joyner talk the other day after OTAs, and he was saying that he's going to be an alpha dog at some point. He's not going to come in and be an alpha dog right now, but he's going to be a guy at some point. He just has to slow down a little bit. He's got to let the game come to him. He's one of these rookies that are so anxious. They're so eager to get out there and perform and do what they can do that he's just going at a speed that's too fast. He's got to slow down a little bit. But I, I like I like that uh, that pick, and it was funny. Someone on the podcast had called a couple weeks before the draft and said, hey, man, the guy you need to be watching out for is Jonathan Abram. If you listen to him talk and you watch him play – he plays like a Raider. He sounds like a Raider. He acts like a Raider. I mean, he just, he's got them Raider tendencies. You know, he just, he's just kind of that dude, you know, he's, and I hate the word swagger, but he's kind of got that Raider swagger. And so I really started kind of putting him on the radar as a, as a potential pick and, and to find out that the Raiders had an opportunity to take him at the end of the first round. I was surprised. I was surprised that he was still on the board. I thought he would have been the first safety taken, but instead Green Bay went and, and took a guy that I personally thought was going to be in the second round. But I mean, hey, it is what it is. You go and get the guys that you, you want and that you think fit your system. And so Jonathan Abram is a guy that I'm I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. He's wearing the number 24, which is a huge number in, in Oakland with the Raiders. I mean, that was a that was Charles Woodson's number. I mean, I know it was Marshawn Lynch's number for the last two years, but that was that was C. Woods number, you know. And so mm -hmm, that kind of mm -hmm. that kind of says that, hey, uh, we got a we, we got a lot of faith in you, young man. We're gonna give you this number. We're gonna basically ask you to carry on the legacy of Charles Woodson. And well, we all know Charles Woodson carried a hell of a legacy in Oakland in Green Bay. But he was I mean he was number twenty four in Oakland. So I mean that that was his number. Obviously, I mean before that, plenty of dudes rocked it. But uh, that that's the most recent guy who's obviously gonna be a Hall of Famer the minute he gets a chance. Yeah. So I mean, looking forward to twenty nineteen. We already talked about you know the Derek Carr. 
uh, situation. Is he the guy or just who Gruden has, you know, to go with now or with the anchor down by the contract, that kind of thing? What are the, some of the other storylines we can look forward to going into 2019? Like, is there a position battle you're going to be keeping your eye on going into camp and throughout the preseason? You know, somebody that uh, you either signed or traded for. Like, is there an undrafted rookie free agent that you really got your eye on, hoping he can make the roster and help out kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, Tevin Coney, I'm glad you mentioned undrafted free agents. Tevin Coney, the uh, linebacker out of Notre Dame, I told you early in the in the show that linebacker was a position of need for the Raiders. I mean, they went and signed Brandon Marshall from Denver. Obviously, Vontez Burford from Cincinnati got to hear Whitehead already uh, as a free agent last year. But it's still a, a position of need. It's something that the Raiders haven't had their own real deal linebacker in many, many, many moons, like since Kirk Morrison and Thomas Howard. I mean, those are really the, the last two dudes that were homegrown Raider linebackers that were really, really good. So this is going to be interesting because Coney was a guy that I was surprised didn't get drafted. I mean, I, I really was surprised that the Raiders even had a chance to get him as an undrafted free agent. And, and when they did, they sounded pretty excited about him. Now, you're not going to learn a lot in OTAs. You're not going to learn a lot in mandatory minicamp, but you will when training camp comes. So he's a guy that I'm going to have my eye on for sure in uh, in training camp just to see if he's picking it up and, and learning the system and, and learning how to be a player. And I don't think he's going to be a starter at all anytime soon, but even if he's a guy that they find worth, uh, you know, keeping around and maybe even putting on the practice squad because they feel like he has that potential, that would be really, really good. And it'd be it'd be a smart move for the Raiders because, like I said, they haven't had that linebacker for a long, long time. Another thing that I'm looking at, another position I'm looking back at is the running back position. And uh, I, I mentioned how much I'm excited about Josh Jacob, but uh, they also have Chris Warren the third, and he he was a young man out of UT that last year was an undrafted free agent. The Raiders picked him up and he shined. He looked really good in the preseason and in training camp and the Raiders ended up IRing him and stashing him away so no team could could go ahead and grab him you know if he was on the practice squad so I'm interested to see how he could come back in 2019 and contribute to the team basically having that whole year to one be healthy two to you know learn the system and and just know that okay uh, you're going to have a chance to compete in 2019 I just want to see how how he adapts to that because if these two guys if Chris Warren the third could go out there and, and really play at a, at a high level and be a, a kind of a big bruising running back. I compare him to Tyrone Wheatley and I mentioned him earlier uh, and he just was a, you know, he was that guy that could pound the rock and, and, and get you those, those tough yards. And then Josh Jacob could do the, Josh Jacobs could do the, you know, the, the out of the backfield stuff, the, the Charlie Garner type stuff, like I mentioned. And, and so those, that's kind of the, the, the tandem that I, I envision when I see Chris Warren, the third, and I see uh, Josh Jacobs, I see Charlie Garner and Tyrone Wheatley. And look, that was when the Raiders had a really, really good run game under John Gruden the first time he was the head coach so if they could replicate that and be something similar to that that would be very very exciting that'd be a big step forward for Derek Carr and this Raiders offense because you know a a quarterback's best friend is the run game so if they can have a a dominant run game between those two guys that could be big things for the Raiders offense so those are two guys that I'm interested in looking at as well yeah and uh, what about on the defensive side anything you're you know you talked about the linebackers Anything else like up front, maybe in the, in the secondary that we're, we should keep an eye on? Yeah, uh, Garyon Conley, uh, he was the first-round draft pick just a couple seasons ago, and uh, he was banged up a lot his rookie year, and then uh, he didn't play the whole season in 2018. Uh, he was kind of in the doghouse. It looked like he was in the doghouse at the beginning of the season, and then he came on pretty strong towards the end and looked like he could be that shutdown corner that he was expected to be when the Raiders drafted him, when Reggie McKenzie, the former GM, drafted him just a couple seasons ago. And so I'm excited to see what he can do now, now that he's going into the third year in the league. How much has he matured? How much has he gotten better? Can 
he be that lockdown guy? Can he be a guy that could say, hey, let's go out and we're going to play that cat defense tonight? Well, what do you mean by that? I got this cat. You take that cat. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm going to shut this cat down. Right. You just worry about that cat. That's what I want to see if he could turn into and develop into that kind of guy. If he can, well, then the Raiders are cooking with grease. And then uh, you mentioned Trayvon Mullen, the, the defensive back out of, out of Clemson, uh, their second-round draft pick. Can he develop? You know, I don't think he's going to start immediately. I think Daryl Worley is going to start immediately. But, look, Mullen didn't give up a, a touchdown in college. You know what I mean? So can that can that translate from the college game to the NFL? Now, I, I know that there's been stories. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander, he came out of out of Clemson and he kind of was similar to that where he hadn't given up any touchdowns in college. And I don't think that his career so far in the league has been that great. You know, is it going to be more he's a product of playing for Clemson and that really, really good team and having a great, strong defensive line and guys not having an opportunity to get the ball out of their hand or can he be that real deal guy that, you know, the Raiders were fortunate enough to come across in the second round? You know, can he be that dude and, and be similar? If so, then all of a sudden maybe you have a tandem. You got a pair of, of defensive backs that are studs that you haven't had in a super long time. I mean, look, the Raiders have not had a lot of defensive talent in a long, long time. And that goes back to uh, the Khalil Mack, uh, you know, trade and why it hurts so bad, because everyone said, oh, my gosh, look at this defensive stud that all of a sudden we're able to cheer on as fans because it's been so long since they had a guy and not had to go out and overpay for him as a free agent to try to get him in there or get him at the end of his career like a Warren Sapp or a Richard Seymour or a, a, a who was the one that came from the Giants? Ah, uh, oh, geez, I can see his face right now. You know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, 91. Uh, you 91. Know, Tuck. You know what I'm talking Justin about. Tuck. Justin Tuck. Yeah, geez, good God, Q. Justin Tuck, yeah. I mean, guys like that. And Justin Tuck was a good player. He helped to develop. Khalil Mack, but he just wasn't Justin Tuck that we know of him. You know sure. what I mean? So a lot of times the Raiders had to overpay for guys that, you know, to come in as free agents and they really didn't never pan out. So Khalil Mack was the homegrown guy. He was, hey man, I don't care how he how he ended up on the team if the if the Raiders lucked into him because all the teams in front of him were stupid and passed on him, or if it was just really good scouting from a young kid from Buffalo. Who knows? But then all of a sudden to see a couple years later, oh, he's he's traded and he's gone. It's like that was the one guy that was going to be there for life. You know, that was the one guy that was a lifer, and so that's why it hurts so much because it's been so long since the Raiders had real deal defensive uh, talent. Yeah, that one. I mean. I mean, even even now, I still can't wrap my head around. I mean, we've talked about what came from it as far as cap space. We talked about the draft picks, the fallout of the the trade for Khalil Mack. And, you know, we're still years away from being answered to be able to definitively answer the question, was it all worth it? Was it worth it to trade a once in a lifetime generational player for what you ended up getting uh, in return? You know, Josh Jacobs and and, uh, whoever the first round pick is next year. Uh, and we gave you another draft, like a third or something. Was I don't know if that was next year. I think it was next year. You got a third from next year as well. So whoever yeah. that, whoever those players end up being, are going to have to have stellar careers for it to kind of balance itself out. You know that kind of thing. So it just makes you wonder how how Gruden could do it, even though he's been able to justify it with the moves, the players that he was able to sign with the money he could have used to sign Khalil Mack uh, and everything. Just still kind of like. I don't know if I still don't know if I would have done it, you know, and, and I thing. think I think his intentions originally were to sign him. I just yeah. don't think they were going to get it done. I just don't think that it was going to happen between uh, Max agent Joel Siegel and the Raiders in the front office. I just don't think it was it was something that they were capable of doing that. I guess they offered him about 70 million guaranteed and that just wasn't enough. And well, clearly it wasn't because the Bears gave him what, 90. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's a that's like a big. That. 
Yeah, that's a big difference. So, uh, again, I don't I don't begrudge Khalil Mack for going and getting as much money as possible. Joel Siegel is a great agent because he's able to get the most money possible. And, hey, if it was me, I'd want them to give me the most money as well. You know, hey, as much as I can get right now and guaranteed, let me get that because nobody knows that I'm going to make it all the way through the season. Nobody knows what's going to happen the next time I go and strap it up. So, uh, that you know, it's, it's, it is a business. I mean, it's exactly what it is. It's a business. It's not like the old school where, you know, guys stayed with teams for, for a year on top of years on top of years just because you know they were a member of that team and they had hated rivalries across the league i mean it's just it's just not that day and age it's not uh you know my father and your father's nfl it's just not you know it's a it's a different day and game and so uh i mean it is what it is it, it's always gonna hurt but you know you just <laughs> at some point you got to figure it out and you just got to move on you got to uh, you know go with it and, and maybe one day he, he comes back to the raiders and retires as a raider who knows i i don't know but uh, i know for the next few years he's definitely gonna be in chicago yeah, it, it's it's one of those things about when a player ends up in Chicago. If he has success in Chicago, no one will ever remember, as far as Chicago goes at least, no one will ever remember that he wasn't ours from the start. Right, right. Uh, I mean, there. I mean, one of my favorite examples is Eric Carroll, who I'm sure you're probably familiar with being a Bay Area guy, played for years for the L.A. Dodgers. Mm-hmm. You know, played out there for 12 years, if not more, played one year, in Chicago, it was that 2003 team that fell victim to Steve Bartman and his foul <laughs> ball and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But the one year he was in Chicago, he said he had more fun in that one year in Chicago than he did his entire career uh, in Los Angeles. And there are so many guys that have that have come to the Bears from someplace else, like Steve McMichael wasn't originally drafted by the Chicago Bears. Uh, Emery Moorhead, who I've actually had on my show uh, was originally drafted by the Giants and was traded to the Broncos before he ended up in Chicago. But he was on that 85 Bear team, so who the hell remembers? Who cares where he came from? Right, He's ours right. yeah, uh, yeah. kind of thing. And I feel like Khalil Mack, if he has the career that his, number one, his first four years in the NFL and his one year in Chicago say he's going to have, there's going to be there are going to be people who are going to have trouble remembering that he wasn't a Chicago Bear uh, from the start. So... Um, we'll see how that all uh, turns out uh, as well. And I got to tell you, man, I am pulling for the Raiders. I honestly am because I grew up in the 80s when the Raiders were legit. Right. You know, coming off the Super Bowl wins and Al Davis just win, baby, and and all that kind of stuff. The Raiders were always one of the toughest teams in the league. They were always one of the contenders in the AFC. And that is something that the AFC needs desperately right now. It's always the Patriots or it's yep. always the Steelers, and it's boring. It is boring watching, watching it all happen in the AFC. You get excited about the Chiefs or the last year or 2017 with the Jaguars making a serious run at it and having the Patriots on the ropes in the AFC title game before falling to pieces. But in the end, it's the, same, it's the old guard that keeps them punching through. So I'm pulling for the Raiders. I'm pulling for the Browns, not only for sentimental reasons because that's who was running the AFC when I was coming up, but just because the AFC could use the new blood. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's what John Gruden's job is to do, is to is to bring the Raiders back to, to where it was back in the day. You know, even when he took over the team the first time, I mean, he, he got them back. Obviously, it was his team that went to the Super Bowl, eventually losing to him in, in Tampa Bay. But, I mean, that was his squad that he built. And so that's his job. Rebuild this team, not for the one-year success like 2016, but for the long term. You know, this, this thing in 2016 was really built on sand. Well, when the water came, it washed all the sand away. Right. That's, that's kind of what I keep telling everyone, like, hey, you 
you know, that Raider team that you saw in 2016 that I was very hyped about, you know, the 12 and 4 team, it was amazing. It was awesome. I thought, hey, they're back. Just win, baby. You know, there's no no turning back now. But it was a mirage because it was only a one year thing. And, and in 2017, well, the wheels uh, all fell off. So now John Gruden's job is to get these guys to get in there and, and know his system, learn his system, uh, play at a high level on offense and defense. And like you said, be that team that is dominant in the AFC. Be that team that every time you see them on the schedule, you're like, damn, that's going to be a tough game. They're not there yet. They're just not. They're not there yet, regardless of what they've done in the offseason. They're not yet. They're not ready to be that team. But throughout this regular season, that's when that's when, uh, you know, that's when you start carving out your spot. That's when you start making a way. And, and that's what they have to do. And that's what John Gruden's number one job is to do. Build this thing with a strong foundation, which is what Mike Mayock was talking about. The players that he got in the draft, get the foundational pieces, get ready to go to, to Vegas. You're going to have a brand new stadium. Now you have to have a hell of a product to put on the field as well. You can't just have the, the, the shine and the lights and the cameras around you. You've got to do it on the field. You've got to be a winner. And, and that's what, his ultimate job is going to be. And so if he's up for the challenge, which he's clearly up for the challenge, part of that was getting rid of Khalil Mack to bring in some extra pieces because, look, this team needed as much talent as possible. I mean, I keep going back to that, and it's not it's not fun to know that Khalil Mack is gone, but they needed to get better. They needed to get better quick, fast, and in a hurry, offensively and defensively, and him not being there helped just because they were able to build it. Now these guys got to come in there and perform now. Now that they're there, they got to come perform and prove that John Gruden and Mike Mayock, the front office, they know what they're doing. If not, then they got egg on their face, and who knows how far you're set back if you didn't get this draft right. Right, and and the other thing is um, there's not much sentimentality in today's society, so the silver and black doesn't carry the weight that it used to uh, as far as the like the respect and admiration that people used to have for it people don't really remember how great the Raiders used to be right and you know so the moving to Las Vegas you have to be able to dangle something else other than the tradition and the winning the the old winning tradition of the Oakland Raiders you have to have a a Derek Carr you have to have Mm -hmm. um you know the the Josh Jacobs and and things like that the Antonio Browns to kind of draw in this brand new fan base because you're essentially starting from scratch uh, in Las Vegas, so you're taking a new, uh, taking a team to a brand new market, and yeah, the Las Vegas Knights were successful out there, but that's a different sport, a completely different animal. Can the NFL succeed in Las Vegas? Is the real question, and we're going to find out. I think the Golden Knights put a lot of pressure on the Raiders as well. I mean, you're I right. really do because yeah. they went in there, and all of a sudden they end up in the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? They they didn't take it, but still, I mean, they were a winner immediately. And, I mean, this team was not just all drafted. There was obviously a lot of players that were, you know, picked and, and cherry-picked off of other teams. But they went in there and gave Vegas a, a, a professional team, and they won immediately. And my mom lives in Vegas, and so she's, she's rocking the Golden Knights T-shirt. And she's telling me how crazy it is that, you know, so many people are Golden Knight fans. So that all of a sudden says, all right, look, we got one professional team. They're winners. They're really good. Can this team that's coming in, getting a brand new stadium built for them, can they be winners? And so I think there's a little bit more pressure on the Raiders to show that, yes, they can as well. That city can be a very, very successful city as far as uh, professional teams go. You know, the Golden Knights are going to continue to be the Golden Knights, and and uh, the Raiders got to step up and, and be on that same level, you know. And so it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. That's why this year is so important for the Raiders. They've got to show that growth. You know, they've got to show that they're ready to take that next step. Their schedule is very tough in 2019 but I mean that's it's very tough on paper you know I don't yeah. I don't know 
what all these teams are going to be uh, until we actually see the games being played. But if you look at it on paper, you're thinking, whoa, you've got a hell of a schedule that you got to try to navigate through. But again, I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to take it game by game, week by week. You, you know, you go on a stretch of, of games that aren't at home. You know, you go like five or six weeks without a home game. I mean, there's there's a tough schedule. You got to travel overseas to play the Bears, you know, in, in London. That's not going to be a very uh, friendly game for the Raiders because they stink overseas. So that's going to be interesting. But again, man, I mean, it's it's all about building. It's all about this team, you know, uh, withstanding the with the test of time. You know, being able to 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 last and have that foundation. And uh, again, that's why John Gruden has such a long contract. That's why his assistants have long contracts. They know that this is not going to be built overnight. Rome wasn't built overnight, so they know it's going to take some time. It's going to take a couple off seasons and. Hopefully, the fan base, we as a fan base, we're hoping that these pieces that they have and they're putting in place, they just basically plug and play and they're ready to go. Now, again, it's it's we're gonna it's wait and see. We have to see. But you got to feel pretty good about the direction that the team is going, at least what it looks like in the offseason. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for the Raiders. The AFC could use the new blood. And, and like I said, as a kid growing up with uh, guys like Marcus Allen and Greg Townsend and, and Howie Long on the team that I grew up watching, you know, I would just love to see the Raiders be the Raiders uh, again for the for the name to to mean something. Just yeah. like when, like when I was a kid and the Chicago Bears meant something. You saw right. the Bears on your schedule, like oh Christ, yeah, yeah. They're, win or lose, that team is going to beat the hell out of us. Yeah, and that's how people used to feel about the Raiders, and that's how I I, I hope that that continues. The way the Bears the the Bears have kind of gotten some of that back with last year's team and the team that they have on paper now ready to to you know to pick up where they left off last year and I'm hoping that the Raiders are able to do uh the same thing cuz I think it would be great for the NFL to see them succeed Oh, no doubt. No doubt. The league is a lot better when teams like the Raiders are, are, are really good. You know, what I mean, it just is. I mean, it's one of those, like you said, franchises that you you want to see them do well just for the health of the league. I mean, obviously, certain fan bases that are hated rivals of the, of the Raiders don't want to see them succeed. They love seeing them down. But for, I mean, overall, general, just wanting to see the NFL be healthy again. Yeah, you want a team like the Raiders to be really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you talked about the schedule for a second and without going too deep into it. You have the AFC South, so you got the the Colts and the Texans. You got mm-hmm. two games apiece against the Chiefs and the uh, Chargers because they're your division mates. Yep. And the Broncos, and the with, yeah, with the, and the Broncos with Vic Fangio calling defense out there. That's not going to be you know with Chubb on one side and, and Von Miller on the other. That's a nightmare waiting to happen. Uh, yep. you, you know, and then you plan. Obviously, you're playing the North. That's why we're talking. So the Bears, the Vikings, the Packers uh, are in there as well. It's it could be a long year. It could be. And and on paper. And, you know, that's what people are saying about the Bears as well. Like, well, they're a team that's ripe for regression because of the schedule that they're playing. Like, well, last year they were not supposed to be a very good football team. They had one of the top five degree of difficulty schedules and they went 12 and four. So take it for what you will. It might look like it might look menacing on paper and then turn out to be a lamb, Uh, you know, look like a lion, but plays like a lamb when the schedule actually uh, unfold. So you just got to sit and cross your fingers and hope your team's prepared and comes to play on Sunday. Yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, really, again, and that's the beauty of football is that it's a 16-week season. You know, 16 games you play, it's a 17-week season, but it's 16 games, and every game matters. You know, every single game matters. Basically, you could break it up into four quarters, and you want to win every quarter. 
You know what I mean? You want to you want to win every quarter, and maybe if you have to, just kind of go two and two during one quarter. But basically, you want to go three and four every quarter if you can. But yeah. again, sometimes it's not going to always shake out like that. But if you can squeak out two and two in the middle of you know a tough road trip, that's not bad all the time either. So I, I look at the Raiders' schedule on paper today. If we're just talking in June, I say, hey, look, this team could go anywhere from four and twelve again in 2019 to eight and eight. I mean, I, I feel like that's a reasonable jump. That's not being you know. I'm wearing silver and black glasses. And I think they're going to go win the Super Bowl. I think that that's I think that's very reasonable. You know, you could either be have, have a lot of bad breaks go for you or maybe you can have a couple of good breaks and, and win a couple of games that maybe you didn't even expect to win. And hey, you go eight and eight. And, you know, and, and who knows if you win a few games and get a little bit of momentum, and a little juice going, then, you know, winning is is habitual. You know, you, winning breeds winning. So if you start winning a couple games, maybe you get on a little bit roll, start feeling good about yourself. And then, boom, you win a couple extra games. So that's how those worst to first type situations happen when you get on a couple couple game roll and, and win a couple games. And, hey, I like this winning thing. And so, you know, they just keep it up and keep going. And so anything could happen. But uh, again, on paper in June, it looks like a, a very daunting schedule. Right. Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely does. And then we, we talked about the, our matchup this year is week five uh, in London over in the new Tottenham Stadium. Uh, I have been coached on how to say that. By the way. <laughs> I, I have a lot of listeners in the UK who had corrected me about how which was the proper way of saying it. So it's Tottenham is what I was told uh, by one of my loyal listeners. Uh, it's a home game for you guys. And like you said, it's part of that stretch where you go five or six weeks without playing a home game. Right. You have September 15th, week number two, against the Chiefs. Then you're at Minnesota, at Indianapolis, quote-unquote home for the Bears, but it's in the U.K. You're bye week. Then at Green Bay, at Houston, you you leave on September 15th and don't return until November 3rd. Exactly. That is bananas. That is a that is a banana schedule. You said it right. That's bananas. The NFL has come out and even said that they got it wrong. They shouldn't have done that. I believe uh, the Raiders and Tampa Bay were both affected in a major way like that. But it's it, when you come out and say that you got it wrong, it's almost more disrespectful to do that. Why don't you just play it off like you didn't? You know that like, hey, that was fine. That's 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 what you got dealt with. I mean, you know, instead of saying, hey, you know. They probably shouldn't have done you guys like that. That's a little bit dirty. Then it's almost like more salt in the wounds because, hey, what are you going to do about it now? You can't do anything about it now. So it is what it is. You just got to play the games. I mean, they're, they're in front of you. You take it one game at a time. But, yeah, man, be, having the first two games in, in Oakland and then all of a sudden having that big old long stretch and you don't return to the house till November 3rd, that is a rough deal. The only thing that I will say, if I'm looking for a silver lining, if I'm looking, you know, trying to turn lemons into lemonade, the one thing I'll say is that by November 3rd, the A will not be playing baseball. <laughs> they will not be playing baseball in November. I mean, hell, they probably won't be playing baseball in October either. But right. the point is, they'll, you know the baseball season's over. So the Raiders get two games where they got to play on that dirt infield, and that's it. So that's the one positive that I could take away from it is that they don't have to deal with the dirt after the first two games. They'll have to deal with it then, but they won't have to deal with it after that. So if you're looking for a positive then there you go. That's that's what I got for you. So there's the silver lining for the silver and black. When they return home on November 3rd, no more Oakland A's baseball to worry about. They can play on a fully grass field at yes. that point. So I, I can work with that. So, so Q, man, <laughs> That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all you got. We're, we're going to be away from home for nearly two full months. but We get least, grass. We go yeah, back. We get grass. So a full grass field. No dirt. You don't have to <laughs> slide in a second to get a first down after that. Exactly. So that's all good. That's what it is. Well, Q, man, this has been fun. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, it's been great talking to you. 
And I hope to have you back to preview that game five, or week five when we head over to uh, London to, uh, to do battle in Tottenham Stadium. I like saying it because I know how to say it now. Um, <laughs> but I look forward to having you back on in, in early October. We'll see where we're at after the first quarter of the season, get those first four games out of the way, see where our teams are at, and uh, see what we got to look forward to week five in, in the U.K., yeah, man. Uh, please do have me back. It'll be it'll be my pleasure. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I never know how it's going to go when you're talking to someone else that covers another team. You just never know. And I'm sure you've experienced it yourself where mm-hmm. some are really cool and some are really not cool. Well, this was really cool. Really great. Uh, you're a fun conversation, a good conversation. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, man, yeah, anytime you need me back, man, you let me know I'm there. All right. So we can find you in in Texas on ESPN. Is it 1660? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, awesome. 1660 ASP, uh, it's 1660 AM, 92.3 FM, but yeah, ESPN Central Texas, and you can always find me on Twitter, at your boy Q254, and uh, not my son's Twitter, but that's my Twitter. <laughs> right. I was looking for him on uh, on Skype, and I typed in his, uh, you know, it's, it, your, your handle's your boy Q, I'm typing in your boy Q, I get in, before typing in the 254, I get uh, Keont Myers, that, that's his name. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm like, hey, Q, it's Larry from Bears Talk Underground. No response. And then <laughs> you jump online and like, hey, here I am. I'm like, oh, different account altogether. So yep. in case uh, one of your sons says, hey, d- some dude was saying hello to me. <laughs> Bears Talk Underground. What is that? Is it like a gay club or something <laughs> like that? And, you He'll know. know. He'll yeah. know as soon as he sees Bears. He'll be like, oh, that's just that was that was my dad doing yeah. something. So, so yeah, I, I had to give him a heads up. It's like, dude, in case somebody, one of your boys says <laughs> some guy was trying to hook up with me on Skype, you know the story. So that's not the deal. So that's, that's what he's talking about there. So <laughs> at your boy Q254 on Twitter and, of course, the Locked On Raiders podcast. Do you have another one that you do? Uh, yeah, I'm also a member of the Black Hole Banter podcast. I do that with my man James Arcelana. Uh, he's a longtime writer. He does really good work. So we uh, we do the Black Hole Banter podcast. And then I'm also part of the Silver and Black uh, podcast podcast network. I do a show with Joe Arrigo, the Q&A show. So we, we do. I'm all over the place, man. I, I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Stay busy. All right, Q. Thanks so much uh, for, for coming on. We'll talk to you in uh, October to get ready for week five. It's your boy, Q. Check him out on Locked On uh, Locked On Raiders or on ESPN 1660 down there in Central Texas. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you, my man. It's your boy Q, and uh, you know. He's a Raiders fan. God bless him, for better or for worse, just like God bless us for being Bear fans, for better or for worse. Had a great time talking to him. Looking forward to talking to him in October to preview week five between the Bears and the Raiders. The Bears and Raiders on on the same schedule, essentially. Uh, They got the first four games, then they got week five in, in the U.K., and then they're both on the bye week, week six. So we're both taking the break after the trip uh, overseas. So, uh, you know, we'll be playing week to week, side by side, essentially, and uh, see how it goes. And, and, I, and I honestly meant what I was telling you uh, about the uh, about the Raiders. And, and hopefully this thing with John Gruden uh, works out uh, before uh, he took all of his lumps last year, uh, trading away Khalil Mack, making some of the silly statements uh, that he made. 
getting Mike Mayock on board, making the moves that they did in the offseason, uh, doing pretty well uh, in the draft uh, as well. It, it looks like the Raiders uh, you know, took their lumps and now they're ready to start ascending as opposed to descending, which is all the Raiders have basically done since making the Super Bowl uh, back in 2002. They've taken one lump after another. And uh, aside from that 2016 miracle season that they had when they went 12-4 and four and uh, and who knows what would have happened with that team if Derek Carr hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, he was the, the, the steam that ran the engine, uh, that drove the engine back in 2016, and him going down uh, with that uh, broken leg or broken ankle, whichever it was, uh, really just t- it sank the season because they were much better than the team that they played in the first round of the playoffs against the, uh, against the Texans. Um, they, they, they should have at least been a divisional round team, if not better. Uh, that year so uh, they were they've been a snake bitten franchise and I think that they they got the worst of the uh, the venom uh, last year and then we'll see Uh, can they do what the Bears have been doing can they rebuild and uh, put something on the field that Raider fans can be uh, proud of can they restore respect to the name Raiders because since 2002 it has pretty much been the butt of the joke uh, in the AFC constant bottom dwellers in the AFC West always in the top five making picks uh, in the NFL draft just because they were uh, the worst team from the year before. And, you know, can they be restored to the franchise that was respectable, that was always in the mix, always in the playoffs, always challenging for division crowns like they did when I was younger? You know, because I meant what I said uh, to Q. I wasn't just pandering to my guest or anything like that. Um, You know, I said the same thing uh, last year when we had uh, the – I'm forgetting his name, unfortunately, when we when we talked to or two years ago in 2016, 2017, when we played the, the the Browns. I hope the Browns can turn it around because the Browns played in some of the most epic games that uh, that made me as passionate a football fan as I was watching the, those 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 playoff games against the Broncos back in the day, the drive and the fumble and uh, being in the AFC Central playing the Oilers and the Steelers and uh, and the Bengals uh, back in the day. It was, uh, you know, I really and, and not to mention historically the Browns have pretty much always been a good football team. It's only been since they returned as an expansion team in 99 that they've been the laughingstock of the NFL. So, I mean... I'm not even a fan of the Browns, and even I'm sick of them sucking as much as they have. So I hope they can turn it around. I hope the Raiders uh, can turn it around, especially since those teams are on the AFC side, and it's the AFC that could use some new blood. So I know I've been pounding that table for for a long time now, but that's just how I feel. So anyway, had a great time talking to Q. Looking forward to having him back. And um, I got nothing for you guys. I don't have news and notes Uh, or anything like that i'm sure that will change uh when we do our next episode because the next episode will drop Uh, let me think about that it's uh because i'm trying to spread these bad boys out and then i've kind of been dropping them a little bit closer to each other than i usually do so maybe i'll uh maybe i'll let this raiders uh show breathe for the rest of the week and then start fresh uh with the uh with the broncos or maybe i'll drop them over the weekend on saturday uh, or Sunday so uh, maybe when when we drop the uh, the Broncos episode we'll have something to talk about or actually I know for a fact if let's say it's going to drop on Saturday so I can talk about the new uniform that's supposed to drop on Friday at the 100th anniversary celebration so let's plan on that the show the the Broncos episode will, will, will drop on Saturday 
I guarantee it will drop on Saturday so I can give my take on that new uh, that new uniform. Is it is it what we saw in the leak? You know, whoever took those pictures for the shipment from Dick's Sporting's Goods, Sporting Goods, or was that just, you know, something that the Bears were putting out to take advantage of the 100th anniversary? Was it something else? Is it a mixture of modern and old school and vintage and, and all the rest of that stuff? We'll wait and see. We'll come back on, the, on Saturday uh, when I drop the episode and find out and then stick around for the preview of the 2019 Denver Broncos. We seem to have something interesting going with all of our guests so far, obviously with the Saints and the Rams, first place finishers, the teams that are kind of the gatekeepers in the NFC right now. The Raiders, obviously plenty to talk about with Khalil Mack and, uh, you know, I guess the kind of parallels that the Raiders are trying to be us this year as, you know, being the team that took their lumps and now they're ready to ascend. They went ahead and, and, and made big moves and, and, and added a bunch to the roster and replenished uh, their, their, their uh, locker room. And now with the Broncos, uh, the, the fun twist there is, uh, hey, Vic Fangio's the head coach of the Denver Broncos now. Uh, we gave up our defensive guru so that Denver could have a head coach this year. Oh, yeah, and they took Bryce, and he took Bryce Callahan uh, with him. So we'll talk to Lori about that, her feelings about the Fangio hire, her feeling about Joe Flacco being the quarterback. Is she, you know, is she looking for Drew Locke to take that job uh, eventually and all the rest of that stuff? So come back on Saturday for myself and, and Lori Latimer Volkman from the Mile High Report on SB Nation. See, our first non-locked on guest. How about that? See, I wasn't kidding. I was telling the truth. Actually, I think our next, the rest of the AFC is not uh, locked on. They're not. They're from other, other sites. So there you go. So no more Locked On for a while. I think maybe we don't have another Locked On guest until. We'll see. We'll see. I got to go back and look at it again. But uh, I think we're actually, we may be done with Locked On guests until Lauren comes in to help us talk about the Bears. So we'll see. But uh, come back on Saturday. Myself and Lori Lattimore Volkman to help preview the 2019 Denver Broncos and uh, all, that, uh, all that that holds. Our week two opponent this year, the Denver Broncos. So come on back for that. Until then. My name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.